Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We're on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And in this conversation, I have the privilege to speak with Dr. Scott Aniel. It's a privilege to have you on the Covenant Podcast for the yeah. first time and uh, great to have you here at the Covenant Conference. You're one of the plenary speakers. And so uh, in just a moment, we're gonna talk about your uh, conference sessions, but because you're a first time interviewee, we've never had you on before. Yeah. Uh, can you uh, just introduce yourself to our audience, uh, telling them who you are, how you serve the Lord right now, whatever else you want to. Include. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am currently the uh, executive vice president, editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries. Uh, and so we're, uh, G3 is, uh, has been a conference for a number of years and mm -hmm. is now expanding to a content producing ministry. Uh, we've got a network of churches all united around the 1689 Confession. Uh, for 10 years prior to that, I taught on the uh, faculty at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so kind of my area of expertise is worship. So really you know, happy to be part of this conference. I've written several books on that topic. Uh, my role at G3 is really just to help to expand the, the production of resources and books and materials to, to help local churches for God's glory. And so we're now there and uh, just outside Atlanta and enjoying the ministry as part of G3. Great, great. Well, thank you for your willingness to uh, chat with me in this short conversation. Uh, you had a conference or session this morning and then you'll have another one tomorrow. So I'll let you if you would tell our audience the title of those two messages and then summarize them for, uh, you could start with the first one, then move on to the second one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really thankful for this conference. I think, you know, I mentioned in the introduction of my first uh, my first session today, uh, a lot of churches around the country and the world are, are reforming according to scripture. Mm. Uh, and it seems to me that typically other areas of doctrine come first, whether it be soteriology, ecclesiology, various aspects yeah. of theology. Worship seems to be the last mm. area of reform. And so I'm thankful for, uh, for you all and for having this conference. My first session uh, was called Musing on God's Music, Forming Hearts of Praise with the Psalms. Um, I've really been burdened about the issue of psalm singing uh, for a number of years now. I've got a book coming out on that topic in, in about a month. Uh, and I really think that you know this issue of reforming our churches, reforming our worship according to Scripture, uh, one of the real remedies to that particular issue is by recovering robust psalm singing. Uh, but unfortunately, psalm singing is often lost and ignored in many churches today. And uh, so I... I I'm trying to, to help in that area and write and, and speak and preach on the necessity of psalm singing. And uh, I really believe one of the big <clears throat> reasons that perhaps we've lost psalm singing among evangelicals, among Baptists, even among Reformed Baptists today, is that we don't really understand the book. Mm. Uh, I think people just view the book of Psalms as kind of a random collection of songs that we can kind of give or take, and we don't understand them. They sound real Jewish, and we don't really know what to do with them, right? And so one of my burdens is to try to help people understand that this, this book uh, really is a collection of five books mm -hmm. deliberately organized. The 150 Psalms are not just in there randomly. It's not like somebody got a bucket and just dumped a bunch of songs in there and, you know, here's the book of Psalms. No, there, there were editors uh, likely uh, just post-exilic, post-Babylonian exile, maybe Ezra or, or somebody like that, who took 
these psalms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but written by real people like David and Moses and Solomon and Asaph and the sons of Korah and others, and arrange them, I believe, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the canonical shape that we have is what God intended. It, it, is, it is our canon. Uh, intentionally arranged the 150 psalms into five books in a particular order with a particular purpose. And so understanding the intentional arrangement of the psalms then helps us to understand the, the function and meaning of each individual psalm, how it fits in the broader progression, uh, and then will help, I, I hope, I believe, us to recognize the importance of us in the 21st century New Testament church still singing the psalms. I'm not an exclusive psalm, psalmist. I believe we, we ought to be writing and singing new hymns but we ought to be singing the Psalms. Mm. Uh, if you think about it in Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, I mean, that was specifically commanded by God. Yeah. We, we might quibble over definitions of hymns and spiritual songs, right. but we know what Psalms are. Yeah. And so we ought to be singing the Psalms. So my message was really to try to help to look at, at the first two Psalms, which uh, I really believe are the introduction to the entire 150 Psalms. They're the introduction to the book. They lay out important themes and important purposes for the the psalms in our lives and in our worship and and what i what i presented was the idea that really the goal is to shape our image our inner image our hearts concerning what the true nature of blessedness is the, you know psalm 1 opens blessed is the man psalm 2 closes blessed are all who take refuge in him so that idea of blessing is is kind of the goal the goal is a life of blessedness such that we will praise the lord but it is not a life of blessedness that is ignoring the realities of a sin-cursed world because what i also showed is that the presence of wicked uh, of wickedness is throughout the psalms and, and right there in psalms one and two uh, the presence of our own sin is prevalent in the psalms and so the whole purpose of the psalms as as psalm one and two introduced to us is to form within us God's conception of blessedness. What does it mean to live a life of blessedness? Happily submitting to the rule of God in a world in which there are competing images of blessedness. Wicked people conceive of God's rule as something burdensome. We still battle our own sin. And so how can we live a life that is blessed in such a way that we give praise to God in the midst of a sin-cursed world and our own sin within us. And if we understand that, then we recognize the, the, the necessity and the purpose, for instance, of songs of lament, yeah. of songs of confession, of songs of trust and confidence in the providence of God. Uh, and then certainly the psalms of praise. That's where it's all headed, but we need the other psalms as well to give us this proper formation uh, within the context of corporate worship. So I use all of that to really sort of advocate for the singing of psalms. We ought to sing the psalms. Um, I do that in my book, obviously, a lot more thoroughly than I was able to do in a 50-minute in a message. Um, but I'm hoping that it will help to contribute to the reform of worship within our churches. Mm -hmm. And one of those components is with psalm singing. So that was kind of the first, the first session this morning. And what's the title of your message for tomorrow? And can you summarize? Yeah, it? so tomorrow the, the title is From Text to Expression, <laughs> Fittingness uh, as a Guideline for Biblically Regulated Worship Music. <laughs> and what I'm going to argue in that message is, you know, we, we talk about the regulative principle. Uh, uh, you know, there are, again, a lot of, uh, of Reformed churches who affirm that. 
uh, particularly with the elements of our worship. But when we start to talk about the forms of our worship, the way we preach, the way we read the word, the way, way we pray, and in particular, this is, this is obviously the most controversial issue, the way we sing, the particular songs we're going to choose, uh, usually what you'll hear is, well, the regular principle doesn't address that. The Bible doesn't really address what we sing. That's just, you know, we just culturally contextualize whatever's popular or whatever's authentic to us. Mm. And so I, I make the argument that, that although, scripture, although scriptural authority applies differently to the elements as, as, as it does to the forms, it ought to apply. That the Bible does regulate the kind of music that we ought to be using in corporate worship because the Bible itself contains aesthetic forms. The Bible is not just a, it's not a systematic theology. Mm-hmm. It's not just a statement, you know, a collection of theologically, you know, accurate abstract propositions. No, the Bible is literature. And so yes, you do have various portions of the Bible that are more instructive, more didactic, more propositional. Mm-hmm. But even those passages, you know, passages, think about a Pauline epistle, more didactic, more propositional, but even there Paul is using imagery. He's using poetry. He's using high rhetoric, you know, he's he's painting a picture in many cases. And then you've got the passages of scripture like the Psalms, like the prophetic books, like the apocalyptic literature, like, you know, other even even the historical narratives told in in very poetic ways. Uh, that is art, mm. and and that is communicate. That helps us to see the necessity of the fact that when we communicate truth, form matters. Mm. How God chose to communicate His truth is just as important as what He communicated. Form and content are not so easily separable as we like to assume. Mm. And so, what I, what I'm going to try to show in the in the session is that we ought to be looking at the aesthetic forms of Scripture. And then allowing those to inform the kinds of aesthetic expressions uh, that that we ought to be using today. And the way that we do that is through the principle of fittingness. What fits? What contemporary art forms fit with what Scripture is communicating aesthetically? It's going to be different because culture changes over time, art changes over time. Mm. You know, I'm not saying we we have to chant psalms in Hebrew. Um, But... When we look at the imagery and the aesthetics and the poetics that are used within the scriptures, they embody certain meanings, certain interpretation of the propositional truth, and we ought to find equivalent cultural forms, aesthetic forms, musical forms in our 21st century context that are fitting to biblical truth. Mm. And so scripture ought to be the, the the number one authority of the cultural forms that we use, not the dominant culture around us yeah. that is embodying values and worldviews that are contrary to Scripture. Hmm. Well said. <clears throat> and uh, I... And we have appreciated you being here, but I personally have benefited from your message this morning on yeah, the Psalms. Great. And uh, really looking <laughs> forward to hearing your uh, talk tomorrow. And thank you for giving us a preview of both of your messages that you've spoken Absolutely. here at the conference. Um, to our listeners, we'll link to these uh, mm-hmm. talks as soon as they're available on our website. And we'll also link to uh, the book that Dr. Aniel referenced uh, in this conversation. But we thank you for uh, tuning into this conversation. And until next time, we want to wish you grace and peace.